An idol is anything we put in the place of God, anything we put above God. And an idol can be anything. It's the world God has created, and there's lots of good things in this world, and the good thing can become a bad thing when it becomes the most important thing. The problem isn't the thing itself. The problem is us elevating it to the place of God. The Apostle John ends the letter of 1 John by saying, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And even in that day, not everybody had physical idols around. He wasn't just talking about a physical thing you put up in worship. We often think that, well, we as Westerners in our modern culture, we don't believe in idols. We don't worship idols. Well, we worship a different kind of idol. For instance, the Apostle Paul talks about uh, covetousness or greed, which is idolatry. It's a different form of idolatry. It's putting money in the place of God. Anything we put above God in the place of God is an idol, and that idol becomes a controlling force in our lives. The way this relates to happiness is that we idolize whatever we think can bring us the most happiness. So we can take a hobby and that hobby can be just fine. We can take work and work's just fine. We can take family and of course family's wonderful, but we can take any of these things and put them in God's place. That's where they go from being healthy to being unhealthy. God is primary. Everything and everyone else is secondary. He's the creator. Everything else is the created, including his creatures. There's nothing wrong with being a creature. There's nothing wrong with being secondary. It's not inherently bad to be that way, but when Adam and Eve chose the path of sin, they elevated the secondary over the primary. And the reason they did it is because they thought they could find happiness in the secondary thing, like eating this fruit. The problem wasn't the fruit. The problem was God said, don't do that. So that thing God created became a means of temptation from Satan who promised a false happiness that could be found in it. That's what makes temptations temptations is the promise of happiness. And anytime that promise is coming through a secondary thing rather than from the primary, it becomes a temptation. Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The interesting thing about this passage is that God is saying that his people have forsaken him, the source of these living waters, to make a secondary thing. They've hewed out cisterns broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, the, the significant thing about that is these cisterns can't hold water. He's the fountain of living water. So the problem isn't just that God is jealous of the attention that would be given to the secondary source of water. It's that the secondary holder of the water can't hold water. In other words, it can't do what God himself can do in fully satisfy which makes me think of John chapter 7, where Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So the problem with idols isn't just that they're bad. The problem with idols is they do not satisfy. 
We can thirst for happiness, and we do thirst for happiness, but we can only ultimately find it in Jesus who says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It's not just that the other waters are bad, it's that they're tainted, it's that ultimately, no matter how good they might be, divorced from Christ, apart from happiness in him, they will not satisfy. Idols are appealing because they offer happiness. Idols are deceptive because Satan is using them to persuade us to turn away from God in order to find the happiness we can only find in him. So how do we overcome our tendency to pursue idols in place of God? The first thing is to realize that they are a deception. The lure, the promise they offer us is not true. In fact, it is very much like a lure that will catch us on a hook and Satan is trying to deceive us. Once you know that something is deception, that can help you tremendously. It's like somebody's offering to sell you something at this incredibly good price. Once you understand this is truly a deception, they are lying to me, then it becomes obviously much easier to resist the temptation. But as long as you think there may be truth in this, then you're going to be susceptible to it. This is one of my big concerns for children who are growing up in Christian families in the church. If they're not taught about the happiness that can be found in Christ and the fact that he is the sole source of happiness, eternal happiness, and that he truly and legitimately offers this to us, if they don't understand that, then they are going to be lured away by the false promises of the evil one because they are hardwired for happiness, so they're gonna to try to find happiness somewhere. They don't think it can be found in the Bible, in God, in Christ, in their church. They will absolutely go out to find it somewhere else. And they'll become ultimately disillusioned. They'll lose hope, they'll become empty because these faults promises are false promises and these idols will not satisfy. It doesn't matter if the idol is sex, it doesn't matter if it's drugs, it doesn't matter if it's uh, alcoholism, it doesn't matter if it's success in business or whatever it might be, things not bad in and of themselves, most of them, if they don't see Christ as the ultimate source of happiness, they will go somewhere else to find happiness. They won't be successful, but they will definitely go there to search for it. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God invites us to taste of him, to experience him, to, to let him prove to us the happiness he has to offer us in him. So once we're in proper relationship with God, everything else falls into place. Instead of worshiping the creation, which is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master, I look at the beauties of creation and I think that they are from the hand of a creator God who made them and made them for me and everyone else to enjoy. They don't become the most important thing in my life. He remains the most important thing in my life. My dog, I love my dog. 
But if my dog becomes number one in my life and God becomes number two, then my dog is no longer what my dog was supposed to be. Sometimes people say, seek the giver, not the gift. And it's overstated to the point that people end up thinking, I'm really not supposed to enjoy the gift. I'm really not supposed to be happy when I have a really good meal. No, that good meal is a gift from God. Thank him for it, not just in a prayer before the meal, but as you're eating it, be full of gratitude. Thank you, God, for making this food. Thank you, God, for the person who fixed this food. Thank you for the taste buds that allow me to enjoy it. Thank you that I have ahead of me forever, if I know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, I have an eternity in which I will be embodied and I will have resurrected taste buds, not fallen taste buds. My favorite food may be a food I have not yet tasted, but I one day will in my resurrected body on a resurrected earth. So instead of saying, seek the giver, not the gift, let's say, seek the giver through the gift. He's given that to us that we might trace it back to him and give him glory for it. happens when we place our affections on things and people of the secondary rather than God is that everything gets out of balance. And the interesting thing is it's not just that we aren't in proper relationship with God, though that's certainly the greatest concern because the first and greatest commandment, Jesus said, was to love God with all of our hearts and minds and souls. But it also changes our relationships negatively with the people who we are also to love. Because as soon as we make the secondary primary, we spoil the secondary. We not only mess things up with the primary, we spoil the secondary. We spoil the value of what they are. An example would be work. Work is a great thing. It's a gift of God. He equips us. He gives us gifts to do our work well, to do skills. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So the eating and the drinking, which are secondary, are done to the glory of God who is the primary. C.S. Lewis said you can't get second things by putting them first. You get second things only by putting first things first. So let's not fail to worship God and give him the glory, and let's also not lose the joy that God has intended that we would have in the secondary by viewing it as it was never meant to be viewed as the primary. So our children and grandchildren are going to grow up being offered all the world's alternatives to happiness in Christ. What's going to draw them toward true happiness in Christ? Well, one of the things is identifying the deception, the the lures, the bait, uh, the hook, and maybe seeing the line that goes up to the surface that there's really a catch to this thing. And so they're doing the right thing because it's not only the right thing, it's the smart thing. But ultimately the smart thing is the thing that's going to bring the ultimate satisfaction in Christ. As parents and grandparents, as churches, as a Christian community, what we need to offer our children, grandchildren, all of the children in our community, all the adults in our community, is a true and real alternative 
that shows the true happiness, the true joy that there is in Christ. If they see in us a perpetual, complaining, unhappy spirit, they will not believe our words about, oh, well, we should rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoicing needs to be seen. It's easier uh, to follow footprints than it is to follow commands. They need to see the reality of joy, a transcendent happiness in the lives of their Christian parents and their Christian church. And when they see that, then they either won't be as likely to go out in the world and try to find it in sin, or even if they do, they'll remember the happiness they departed from and one day be drawn back to it.